0: Well, good morning again. Um, my father was also a pastor, and I know that if he'd been preaching after a song like that, he would have said, if you can't preach after that, there ain't no preach in you. <laughs> so I'm... I'm feeling confident about preaching today after that music. Thank you, choir, and and, uh, thanks to the handbells. That was just beautiful. It's good to be with you this morning. I appreciate your graciousness in having me be in the pulpit today. Um, I want to bring you greetings from the Council of Elders and also our moderator, Reverend Elder Nancy Wilson. Um, She has been in China for three weeks, and yesterday made her way back to the states, and she flew through Dallas, actually, before I left there, and texted me just to say I'm in Dallas, and she knew I was coming here today, so she asked that I please bring you greetings and to thank you for who you are in our denomination worldwide. You certainly are a beacon, and you are a light that shines very, very large uh, to so many churches that are all around the world, so she sends her thanks, and I echo that. So as we listen for God's word this morning, would you please pray with me? Holy One, we've come into your presence today and we feel that you are here surrounding us. So I ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts might rise up to meet you and that you will be pleased. I ask this in your many names and in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. One of my favorite newspapers to read is the New York Times. Now, I don't read it for the reasons that most people do. I read it because it has good stories in it. And if you are a preacher, you're always looking for good stories. Amen. So, I want to share with you as we start this morning a story that came from the New York Times. I'm going to paraphrase most of it, but I want to start with a line that comes directly from the article. It goes like this. A woman and her jerk of a husband left on vacation for the Holy Land. After they got to the Holy Land and they'd been there for just a few days, the husband was struck with a cardiac arrest and later died. As the wife was speaking to the mortician in the Holy Land, the mortician said to her, listen, these are your options. You can either bury your husband here in the Holy Land for $150, or you can ship the body home and bury him there, and that will cost you $5,000. She said, I want to think about it for just a little bit. She came back in a day or so, and she said to the mortician, I've decided to ship my husband's body home and bury him there. The mortician said, well, that's fine. I just have a question, though. Why is it that you would pay $5,000 to ship the body home and have it buried there when you could just bury it here in the Holy Land for only $150? She said, well... A long time ago, a man lived here, died here, and was raised from the dead here. (laughs) And she said, I just can't take that chance. (laughs) Clearly, this was a defining moment for this woman. It was a key decision in her life about where she was going to bury her husband. So choices, decisions, defining moments in life. Some have said that essentially our life boils down to a long series of choices and decisions. Now if that's true, I don't know about you, but I think I'd like to take that a little more seriously, if indeed that's what my life amounts to or the series of choices and decisions I've made. It would cause me to look back on my life and know that there are some decisions I regret, and I imagine that you share that as well. Choices and decisions, whether it's the fullness of who we are or whether it just plays a great role, it does seem to be a huge piece of our lives. The choices and decisions in any moment that we make. Now, as I was wondering about choices and decisions this week, I googled decision-making strategies. Do you know I got 86 pages of Google pages of where I could go on the internet to find information about a good decision-making strategy? So some of us probably need to find a good one. Some of us may already use one, but I'm here to tell you that if you don't have one and you need it, there are plenty of options for you out there and you can find it. It also caused me to wonder this week about the role that personality plays in the choices and decisions we make. Certainly there's probably little argument that it plays some role. So, for example, you know, some people make decisions very quickly and on the spot, they can decide just like that. Other people have to sort of sit with the information a little bit and then later after they've had a chance to sit with it, we'll make a decision. Some people will avoid making a decision at all, as if avoiding it is not a decision in and of itself. Some people will make a very linear and logical and methodical decision. They'll go at it that way. Some people have what I call decision remorse, where they make a decision, but then they take it back before it even has a chance to play itself out. Some people will only make a decision if they're forced to do so. You get the idea. Different personalities will drive choices we make in a different way. So whether it's the strategy we use or whether it's our personality or both, it does seem that making decisions and choices in life is very, very important. The story you just heard read in the Hebrew scripture is one of those stories except it's not just about choices or decisions this is a story about a defining moment a defining moment is that moment when the choice you make changes absolutely everything when the choice you make changes absolutely everything this was one of those stories let's go back through the story for a minute we pick up this story where God has said to Moses I want you to get some of the leaders from your community together because you all are right here at the edge of the promise God had been leading them through the desert for 40 years and they had come right up to the edge of what God had promised them this great land flowing with milk and honey. And so at this point, God said to Moses, I want you to get some of the leaders together, and what I want you to do is have them go over into that land I promised you and check it out. I want you to go survey it, look at it. Some translations of Scripture say they were spies. They were going over to take a look and see what they could see. And Moses says, when you come back, I want you to report it to our community.'" So the leaders go over into the land of promise. And what they find there is that indeed it is flowing with milk and honey. The produce is really beyond what they could have imagined. They tasted some of the produce and the grapes were so good they even threw some over poles and it was so rich and lush it took two men to carry the clusters of grapes. As they looked further, they found that there were indeed some barriers, and some challenges. They found that the people who lived there were fortified very well. They found that they were big people, giants, huge, so big that the the spies felt like grasshoppers in their presence. They came back, and Moses called the community together. And those who'd gone over to the land of promise got up in front of the community to give a report. They began to talk about how great the produce was and what a beautiful land it was and invited the people in the community to try the grapes that they brought back. But as sure as they were tasting the produce, those who were reporting started to say, but, don't you hate that, the hanging but? It's all wonderful, but. They said, but, you know, the people there are huge. Their forts are are unbreakable. This is going to be impossible for us to do. We cannot take that land over. It's not going to happen. The barriers are too great, and the challenges are just too big. We just cannot do it. In the middle of this rather negative report, one man, one lone man who'd been part of the group to go and see the land, raised his hand and stood up, and said to the crowd, no, we can do this. We can do this. There are challenges, sure, but we can do this. Well, the others who had been there with him, his name was Caleb, began to speak louder all of their negative thoughts about how we just can't do this. Don't listen to him. We cannot do this. The challenges are just too big. And as Caleb tried to speak, yes, we can do it, the other voices drowned him out. And pretty soon, that community was so stirred up that the folks in that community began to scream. They began to yell at Moses and to those who'd been to see the land, and they began to yell at God. And you know what they said? They said, God, why did you bring us this far just to leave us here right at the foot of the promise? God, what in the world is that about? We would have been better off to just stay in Egypt, stay in Egypt and die slaves as to have come this far. Now, would you agree with me that this was a defining moment? Right at this moment, this community of faith had to make a decision that would absolutely change everything and in that moment they choked basically they choked and I would say to you that they choked primarily because they forgot who they were they forgot that they were free that they had been freed from slavery they forgot that no matter what had happened in the desert, when they didn't have food or they didn't have drink or they didn't know where they were going, every single time God provided for them, every single time, they forgot who they were. They forgot that above all else, God was leading this effort. They forgot above all that God was in the struggle. They forgot above all that no matter what was coming, Come what may, God was going to be there to make a provision, even if they couldn't see it in the moment. They simply forgot who they were. Now, the question is, do you think you and I do that sometimes? That we get up to a defining moment and we just choke because we simply forget who we are? I think we do. So this morning, I want to invite Caleb into the room, the lone voice of the spies who said, We can do this because I am interested in what made Caleb different. I'm interested in what gave him the courage to speak loudly in the face of other voices. We can do this. And so if Caleb were here today, I wonder what he would say to us. I'm imagining that one thing Caleb would say is that any time you're faced with a defining moment, it will involve risk. It will involve risk. So in other words, you're not going to escape the element of risk when you're faced with a defining moment. (coughs) Now the bad news for some of us is that if you're a control queen, and by the way, that is gender fluid in this case, okay? If you like to be in control of things, this becomes kind of tough, doesn't it? Because you have to know that there are no guarantees with risk. You have risk. And yet you don't step away from the defining moment just because it's risky. I think Caleb would also say that defining moments also invoke fear. In other words, when we're faced with that moment, something deep inside often gets triggered in you and me. A deep-seated set of insecurities or fears that stop us cold in our tracks, where we are inundated with this sense That I cannot move, I cannot do this, this is way too overwhelming. Caleb would say that's part of what goes with defining moments is fear. But we get to decide whether we're going to let it win out or whether we're going to keep stepping through it. I think Caleb would also say that defining moments irritate our convictions. Now, I'll warn you, I'm going to step on all our toes a little bit here for a minute, okay? It's my experience that when everything is going along okay, and we're not faced with anything overwhelming, then we love to talk about our deep belief in God's ability to be with us and to bless us. When everything's going along fine, we are very good at quoting Scripture to each other. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. With God, all things are possible. We can really do that, can't we? And we can encourage each other and say, oh, don't worry, God will always take care of it. And then we walk up to a defining moment, and we feel afraid, and it looks really risky. And then all of a sudden, those convictions go away. So right at the moment, when it most counts for us to step into those things we say we most believe about God, we choke. And sometimes we only prove that it's really difficult for us to lean on God when the way is not certain and the outcome is not sure. Finally, I think Caleb would say to us that defining moments— introduce impossibility. The spies said, there is just no way. It's just impossible. Many years ago, I was at the Crystal Cathedral in California, Dr. Robert Schuler's church, and I was there for a church growth conference. And Dr. Shuler by then was already aging and, he was speaking and telling the story of how the Crystal Cathedral was built. And he was telling about all the challenges, and, and they were pretty overwhelming, some of them, and how they'd gotten beyond them and stuff. And he was going along in his story, and all of a sudden he just stopped in his tracks, and he walked around from the podium, and he said, you know, here is what I most want you to hear. He said, what I learned through that process was that when something is before you and it seems impossible, then that is the very thing that God is calling you to. Because if it were possible, you wouldn't need God. If it were possible, you wouldn't need God. So isn't it beautiful that defining moments are made up of impossible things? So that we are encouraged to lean in to the one who has promised to see us through, come what may. You know, Caleb and his family were the only ones who actually ever crossed over into the promised land. All the rest continued for the rest of their lives to wander in the desert. So this indeed was a defining moment because really no matter what they decided, the ones who decided to stay in the desert and the ones who went into the promised land, either way, it defined their lives from that point forever. So defining moments are no small thing in the walk of those who serve God. It is no small thing for those of us who reach out to touch the Spirit of God and hope for that help. Winston Churchill was known as one of the greatest orators of his time. He was invited by the graduating class of Oxford University to do their commencement address. And this was after he'd gotten on up into years. And so he was pretty feeble and walking with a cane. But he accepted the invitation and he came that night, and his car drove up to let him off. And he got out, and in his classic wear, he had on a big black top hat, a long black top coat, and he had his cane. So he made his way into the building and down the aisle and sat to his right on a pew. He took off his big black top coat, he took off his top hat, and he leaned his cane on the bench and sat down. When it came time for him to deliver the commencement address, Winston Churchill slowly made his way up onto the stage and he stepped up to the podium and he looked out over the graduating class and he said, Never give up. Then he stepped back for a moment and he just let that fall over those graduating seniors. And then in a moment he stepped back up to the podium and in a little bit bigger voice he said, Never give up! And he backed away again. He waited some more, and then for a final time, he stepped up to the podium, and in a big, big Churchill voice, he said, never, ever give up, and then he made his way off the podium, went over to the pew and picked up his coat and his top hat and his cane. He made his way out the building and back into his car. The graduating seniors said that though it was the shortest commencement address they'd ever heard, it was certainly the most profound. Because those graduating seniors were facing a defining moment in their future. And Churchill said, never, ever give up. And the community of Israel was facing a defining moment. And Caleb said, You can do this. I think Resurrection MCC is stepping up to a defining moment right now. And I wonder what voice you will hear. All I can say is I hope you will hear the voice of promise. And I hope you will hear it through the scripture that goes like this. God who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. God who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. I hope you will hear that voice. So I want you to say it with me. Say it with me. It's on the screens. God who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Now say it like you mean it. God who began a good work in you, will be faithful to complete it. Never, ever give up. May it be so. Amen.